And so there's other Matthews that are here today that I believe God's going to just transform your life. If you have your Bibles, go to the book of Joshua. Um, usually I have you stand for the reading of the Word. I'm going to have you seated because I'm going to have a lot of Scripture to read through. We're going to go through quite a bit of Joshua. And so we've got it up on the screens. We've got it on the, the app so you can follow along. Um, but in our journey of talking about this, the, the subject of depression internal darkness, emotional darkness. Uh, man, we've seen God do some unbelievable things around these altars. Uh, last night, uh, the Michigan Ministry Network uh, brought me in last night to Muskegon. I was out in Muskegon uh, speaking to 33 pastors and their spouses, so around 66 people, and wanted me to talk to them about mental health and ministry. And afterwards, I texted my wife. I just said, it's, it is unbelievable the amount of pastors that have been sobbing on my shoulder. Um, just pastors going through depression, feeling like they're the only ones. Uh, I met a, a pastor last night and their spouse, they don't deal with depression, but their, their son does. So as I'm talking, I notice he has an English accent. How many of you know that when someone's talking to you with an English accent, you have to fight hard not to try their accent back at them? <laughs> my wife would have been embarrassed if she would have been there. Uh, but it's her fault for not being there that I tried it. But I found out that I, I, I talked with him. I said, where, where are you from? He goes, well, I'm from England. I'm not going to do the accent. And, uh, and I'm like, I have, I've been there before. And I said, it's the only time I've ever had to sit in the back of a cop car. All the other times I've outrun the cops. And he goes, well, what city? I said, Peterborough. He goes, that's where I'm from. So all of a sudden we had all these conversations. And, and we began to talk about their, their son, gone through Bible college, dealing with depression. And I love that the Michigan Ministry Network, they bought 33 uh, Speaking from the Shadow books for all of the pastors to help equip all of the pastors uh, that were there with some tools to help them through their tough times as well as to help their congregations. And so, man, God has been, been so good. Joshua chapter 1. Gird your loins. We're about to read a lot of scripture here. Some of you are King James and you get that. Other people, you think I'm weird right now. Joshua 1, verse 1 through 3. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun. By the way, who are the only two people in Scripture without a parent? Adam? No. Is Joshua the son of? You're welcome. Some of you like to block me on Facebook for some of that. You can't block me here. Some of you just clicked off in the live stream. He was Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over to the Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised Moses. In other words, the, the master has gone away. The Padawan has risen up. And he is taking over the leadership over the children of Israel. you got about 2 million people that Joshua is now taking leadership. And then the next scripture, Joshua 3, verse 5 through 8. Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders amongst you. And the, Joshua said to the priests, take upon Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass it before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they will know that I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, that when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall, uh, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Verse number uh, 13 of chapter 3. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest the waters of the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters will come down 
from above and shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, the feet of the priest bearing the Ark were dipped into the river bank. Now the Jordan overflows and all of its banks through the times of harvest. The waters were coming down from above and stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city beside Zarephathan, and those following down from the sea of Ariba, Ariba, Araba, I can't read this morning, the salt sea were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the ark of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. When the nation of Israel finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe, a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out from the midst of the Jordan, from the very place the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you. Lay them down in a place where you lodge tonight. And Joshua called twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said, Pass before the ark of the Lord your God, into the midst of the Jordan and take up of you each a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in the time to come, what do these stones mean to you? You shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So, the, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Lord Jesus, today, Lord, I ask that you would confront us, confront our lives in such a powerful way that we don't walk away the same way that we've walked in. I pray that this morning that we would just see miracles take place in lives, hearts, God, specifically in the area of our memory, God. For, for some people, they have a hard time remembering what you've done because they can only see the travesty and the trauma in their life. And at the same time, Lord, some of us have buried some things deep down that, Lord, I'm believing you're wanting to confront us today in order to heal us and to restore our lives, not by might, not by our own power, but by the Spirit of God. We speak all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, and blessed our Detroit Lions, Lord Jesus. Um, have you ever noticed on Facebook, we've got a portion of Facebook in your app, I'm on it right now, that's called Memories. Ever looked at your Facebook memories? If you ever need to be humbled, look up your Facebook memories. Like, I'm just going to scroll down here. Uh, five years ago, uh, I posted, you'll know this about my Facebook, I post about everything. I posted about not turning on our heat until November 1st. My wife has rebelled against that. She's like, you don't have to be home all day. Yeah. The cats have to stay warm. The cats have fur. Uh, that's a marriage fight right there. Um, let's see here. That was five years ago. Six years ago. Six years ago, oh, there's a selfie of me and my wife before a message. Ready for week two of the, of the series, The Collective. That's a cute picture of her. And so, okay, me. Um, seven years ago, oh, I preached at North Point Bible College. I was a chapel speaker. So that was, there was, there was seven years ago. That's not so bad. Uh, seven years ago, I hashtag go blue. Thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, let's see here. Um, eight years ago, I put McDonald's fries greater than five guy fries. 
You're not supposed to boo in church. Hey. Uh, let's see. 13 years ago, I jumped on the Texas Ranger bandwagon. Apparently, the Rangers were in the World Series. Um, 13 years ago, I checked in at Rixie's. Any of y'all ever have Rixie's cinnamon rolls? Those seat cushions? Oh, so good. Uh, 14 years ago, Dave is hungry for a good burger. All right. 15, 15 years ago, Dave Berenger is fixing his ingrown toenail. Fifteen years ago, Dave Berenger needs one more friend so I don't have 666 friends anymore. It's creepy having 666 on my profile. Sixteen years ago, listening to a guy do hip-hop that looks like a rabbi. Why? 32-year-old Dave, why? But I mean... You look at the Facebook memories, you look at past posts, and, or you go into Instagram on this day, here's what we posted. But, you know, we look back at memories, and we can get embarrassed by memories, but how, how many of us know that sometimes Facebook memories, this was a, probably a good day to look at Facebook memories, because how many of us know that sometimes, like, we've done well in life, or we're in a good place in life, and all of a sudden you're scrolling through your Facebook memories, and you see seven years ago went through the worst divorce, and you're like, oh, thank you, Facebook. You're just going through, lost my job 14 years ago. Oh, thanks for the memory, Facebook. Awesome. Scrolling through, you see somebody that you used to be friends with that posted on your timeline something very fun, and you're like, I don't have that friend anymore. Thank you, Facebook. And we look at memories, and, and for many people, memories are a wonderful thing, sometimes an embarrassing thing, but how many of you know that when it comes to really digging in memories, and sometimes when you're going through memories and going through moments that are in the recesses of, of your brain, sometimes you come across things that are not so fun, and they're more than embarrassing. Sometimes they're, they're humiliating. Sometimes they're filled with pain. They're filled with darkness, filled with frustration, and sometimes we think that, if we can just move past them by forgetting about them, that we will be much better individuals. Pastor, if I could just not remember that anymore, I'm going to be just fine. But I want you to understand something. The point is this, is what we remember and what we forget is very significant. What we remember and what we are forgetting, that's a very significant thing. And something we have really here in our story, this beautiful story that is the beginning of the book of Joshua. It is the beginning of the journey of Israel possessing the promised land. And so like when you see the nation of Israel right now and the land that's there, people are like, Israel has only existed since what, 19, in the 1940s. I'm here to say they've existed much longer than that. They, they occupied a land. This is the, this is the land that they're, this is the beginning of that time where Israel is established in this land hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And so God separates Joshua saying, you're the new guy, you're the new leader, and take the Ark of the Covenant. So if you don't know, if you haven't grown up in church, nor have you watched Raiders of the Lost Ark, by the way, one of the greatest movies ever made, if you've ever watched the movie, you know that the Ark of the Covenant was the visual representation of the presence of God. 
And so when it passed before the people, the people would see the ark and they knew the presence of God is before us, going before us. And so God says this. It says, take the, the priest who carried the ark, take him to the Jordan River, which was at flood stages at this time of the year. And when their feet hit the water, the water is going to split like, like the Red Sea split. And they stood in the middle while two million people crossed over. And then before they got out, Joshua sent 12 men to go to where the priests were sitting, standing and told them to grab rocks. Pastor, why don't you grab rocks? You carry rocks into the church. I'm going to go to bricks. My neighbor's throwing these away, so I retrieved them. Thank you, neighbor. So he said, Great, grab 12 rocks, and you're going to build an altar so that when your kids see the altar, that it's going to trigger a memory that's going to bring you to the place to remember what God did. I'm here to say this. One of the enemies of the life of faith is forgetfulness. And sometimes we can be so bent upon what God is not doing in the present that we have to remember that God has done amazing things in our past. He's done amazing things for us. There's so many times that we look forward in hopelessness, and it's because we've forgotten all that the Lord has done, all that the Lord has accomplished. In a little bit, we're going to take communion. And part of communion is looking back and remembering the goodness of God when He loved us so much that He sent His only Son, that whoever, whoever, whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. This, God does not want us to forget. When I first got in youth ministry, I started developing a lot of youth pastor friends, and one of them, his name was Nate. And I remember saying, hey, Nate, what's going on? Are you doing, hey, you're okay? He said, no, 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 my wife is mad at me. I'm like, well, why? He says, well, I'm a very forgetful guy. And so she bought me ginkgo biloba, like, what do you call it, pills to take to help me with my memory. I'm like, what's the problem? He goes, I keep forgetting to take the pills. And, and she's mad at me, and he's like, you can't be mad, that's the problem. And, oh yeah, it's, it's a lot of issues that Nate had. But the idea of memory is such an important thing that in the scripture, we have 234 references to remember. References to say, look back, don't forget. This is an important portion of scripture. That's why we get in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Um, Peter says this, I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. Colossians 4, 17. Paul says, I sent Timothy to do what? To refresh your memory. Why is it that we come to church? We come to church for a number of reasons, but I believe one of the things is to foster a memory and to, forg and, and to fight against forgetfulness. I think forgetfulness is such an enemy to our faith. Pastor Dave, there's some things in my life I want to forget. I would contend this morning that I don't think it's the Lord's will for you to forget the painful moments. It is the Lord's will for you to get healing for the painful moments. And so my message this morning is called Master Your Memory. And if there's anything that I've learned throughout my life that has take me, taken me to dark places, it's when I have buried memories deep down, and instead of getting healing for them, I just want to forget them. I want to leave them behind. And I believe the Lord wants to surface some memories in our life, not to make us suffer, but to confront us with the fact that He wants to heal us. He wants to restore us. He wants to deliver us. He wants to save us. And He wants us to move forward. Because the rocks in our life, the things that God has put in our life are there to build an altar to remember, not to be the anchors that hold us back. This is such a wild story in Scripture. I mean, I, some of y'all grew up like I grew up in Sunday school with the flannel graph. Y'all remember flannel graph? 
That was the best Sunday school thing ever. This was iPad before iPads. Somebody like, what is flannel graph? It was a big piece of green flannel. Why was that always green? It was cheap. And you had little characters that had little felt things on the back and would stick right to it. And you're like, oh my word, God makes stuff stick to this flannel graph. And it was just, you know, it's just friction. And, and the teacher would take the priest and do this little thing, call it, and they would have a little, like two strips of fl blue flannel, pull those apart, have the children of Israel go in between. It's such an amazing and wild story. At the flood stage of this time, God gives them a strategy. God gives them a strategy. You're going to go and take the land of Canaan. You're going to go conquer this land, and this is going to be where your nation is going to rest. I mean, this is, okay, how are we going to do it? Well, first, we're going to cross the Jordan River. This is not the right time to do it. Oh, it's okay. God's just going to split it together. Rushing water, God's going to split it. God's got this. Okay, and when we get across, there's like a big, big city called Jericho. So what's the strategy? I've heard from the, I've heard from the Lord. The general's like, this is what we need. What's the strategy? We're going to send the worship leaders in front of us, the unarmed people, and we're just going to sing and just walk around the city for seven days. And like, and when do we attack? It's not going to happen. And so they're like, all right, so... That's just, that's what's going to happen. And God will just simply give us victory. It's just the whole story of the beginning of the conquest of Canaan is such a wild story. But it began with send the priest in first. Send the Ark of the Covenant first. Send in the presence of God first. Why is this so important? Because this reminds us what Jesus said in the Gospels when he says, seek first the kingdom of God. When you put God first, it's amazing the things that God will split in your way. Why is it that we start off our week coming to church and worshiping together? We are putting God first. First. Why is it that we tithe and we give in the offering? We're putting God first. Why is it that we choose to serve and choose to bless other people? Because we're putting God first. Because I know this, that if I put God first in my life, I don't know the type of Jordans that will be laying in front of me for the week ahead, but I know that if I put Him first and I have my faith in God, that, that perhaps God will split things in front of me that perhaps have wanted to keep me from His best. Start off putting God first. And so, in the middle of this, it brings us to these stones. And now when we talk about these stones, we think about, honestly, the good times. The good moments. Look at the water splitting. The presence of God is, is just, it's just amazing. Like, He passed before us, and we can feel Him there. He's in the midst of us, and He's going before us, and the water split. And everybody walked over on dry ground. But have you ever thought about this? Because I've read this story for years. And just, it's a cool celebration. This happens all throughout the Old Testament. God does something miraculous. Build an altar. Make sure that for years to come, talk to your kids about it. In my brain, the altar always represents the good things that have happened. But have you ever thought about that it's not just the good things that have happened, but also the terrible tragedies that led to it? Because when you think about these stones... When you think about the altar they had to build, yeah, they were celebrating the Jordan being split and the fact that God was sending them to Jericho to conquer. But you know what that reminder was? There were people that didn't make it here. Because when God pulled them out of Egypt, did you know that we are talking about an 11-day journey from the Red Sea to this place? 
that took them almost 40 years. Why? Disobedience. Murmuring. Bickering. Rebelling. And so they were wandering 40 years, and they wandered for 40 years until a generation was gone. And so what you've got now is the generation that had died away. You've got the children of that generation. They're the ones grabbing the stones. So you got to know that when they're setting up stones, not only are they celebrating what God has done, but they're also remembering who was not able to make it there with them. As much as those stones were something to celebrate, those stones were also a little bit of trauma. There were good memories. There were tough memories. But I'm here to say something. When it comes to these life moments that are hard, I think sometimes, especially in our culture, we equate hard moments to bad moments. If something's hard, then it's automatically bad. But I'm here to say that just because something is hard, it doesn't have to be bad. Because it seems like, it seems like in our nature, in our culture right now, that we don't have the capacity for hard anymore. This class is hard, I should drop it. This job is hard, I want to find an easier job. With better pay, more options, that's too hard. This marriage is hard. I've got a, uh, somebody that uh, talked to me. He's like, he's like, you know what? My, my wife and I are on the brink of divorce. And, I, and I'm like, well, let's, let's talk about what you can do. He says, man, but everything you're telling me to do, that just sounds like a lot of hard work. Well, if your spouse is sitting next to you, would you lean over to them and say, I love you? And then lean back and just say, it's hard being married to you. Can we just say this? Life is hard. But sometimes we buck up against hard moments. We buck up against moments because we think hard is bad. But some of the greatest things you will ever accomplish in your life will be amongst the hardest things that you will ever do. And what happens is when it comes to memories that are tough, memories that are hard, I'm not saying that things that happen, sometimes people are looking for reasons. Why did this happen? I'm here to say sometimes there are no reasons at all because life is broken. And we live in broken humanity, and we live in a very broken world. And there's, sometimes there's no explanations. And sometimes we've had hard moments, and we want to bury those moments. We want to ignore those moments. We want the Jordan River to roll over them and not pay attention to those moments any longer. And we have to understand that some of the greatest things that we will ever see accomplished is not when we ignore the hard moments, but when we lean into them and we begin to have God help us get healing over them. I've... I've read so many different articles on trauma, YouTubes, and there's something that I've noticed is now, not just on YouTube and in blog articles, but I actually see it in TV shows, series, and movies. Have you ever noticed in something that you have watched that it starts off with the words, trigger warning? I'll go ahead of YouTube. Trigger warning, what you're about to see could trigger something. And now I appreciate that because I'm on, I'm, I want to be very, very, very real with you this morning. PT, PTSD is real. Some of you have not sat in my counseling chambers when I've sat with people who have served our country and talked through some things in their life. I'm here to say PTSD is real. Trauma is real. And please, if you've never met somebody who's dealing with that, please do not tell them to just get over it. Do not tell them if you will just have more faith. If you just read the Bible more. The, there, those are things that can help, but 
but we need to get them the proper help that they need. But at the same time, I think sometimes we can be so, we can be so sensitive to just every situation imaginable that we don't want to dredge up any type of thing in their life. And the reality is, I get this sensation in our culture that our culture never wants to dredge anything up because quite frankly, I don't think anybody wants anybody to be healed. Because it seems like when it comes to our pain, nobody wants us to be healed because we have now taken an identity in our pain. We're not Christ followers, we're damaged individuals. And we live in our pain. And we have this identity. That's why Jesus walks up to a blind man. What do you want me to do? And he wants to know, I want to be healed. I want to no longer live in one condition. And I'm ready to step into a new. And so there are times we just don't want to dredge anything up. It was a handful of years ago. In the Assemblies of God Michigan uh, network, we've got actually two camps that we own. One in Gaylord and one in Jackson. And in Jackson, it's right there in Grass Lake. I remember they're doing a fundraiser because they had to dredge the lake. Why? Because so much sediment had, had set into that lake so much that it lost its depth. And so they had to dredge into it. And I'm here to say that for some of us here, if we want to see deeper things of the Lord happen in our life, there has to be a bit of a dredging that has to go on in our lives. I love what Carl uh, Jung says. He says, until the subconscious becomes conscious in your life, it will direct your life unconsciously without you realizing it, it will even happen. In other words, if you don't deal with your trauma, it will control your life. But quite often is trauma happens, moments happen, and we avoid it, we bury it, and then all we do is, all we do is we numb it. We numb it with, we can numb it with alcohol, we can numb it with drugs, we can numb it with busyness of life, we can numb it with hobbies, we can numb it with this, with that, with social media, with gaming, we can numb it with a lot of things. But God wants to bring healing. And so here, the stones reminded Israel, not just of their failure first. This here, this could have been simply, here's a reminder of how you failed for 40 years, but that's not what God intended. They looked at it and they remembered the failure of, a, of one generation, but God was wanting to set something up in front of them to see that there is a future in store for them. Because something can be hard, but God can use for good at the same time. There's an author by the name of Bob Benson. He wrote a book called See You at the House. And he shares this story that's quite of a fascinating story. It says this, Bob had a friend, the author had a friend who had a heart attack that nearly took his life. And so Bob went to coffee with that friend who had a close enough background where he can say things. You have your, some friends in your life that can just say things nobody else can say. They could joke about things nobody else can joke about. So he, said, he looked at his friend, they're sipping coffee, he goes, so how did you like your heart attack? And his friend says, I did, not, I did not like it very much, thank you. Didn't like the quadruple bypass, didn't like the hospital say, what do you mean, did I like my heart attack? So Bob began to probe a little bit. He goes, well, what happened? He goes, well, it just it scared me half to death. Well, how are you different as a result of being scared to death? Would you do it again? His friend's like, absolutely not. Would you recommend it to a friend? Not even my worst enemy. But does your life mean more to you now than ever before? And his friend went quiet and admitted, well, absolutely it does. He goes, what about holding your granddaughter now? He goes, it's more precious than I can ever articulate. What about your relationship with God? It's richer than any point of my life of knowing Jesus. There's a sense of his nearness, his richness that I've never felt before. What about your marriage? Oh, it's always been good, but we're, we're closer than ever. She was right there with me through it all. What about people in your life? 
Well, it seems like I've got a new compassion for people who are going through hard things. I was so cavalier before about people in crisis, and now I realize how hard it is to go through stuff. And he was quiet for a moment, and Bob said one more time, so how did you like your heart attack? And he writes, silence was the only answer that I got. For it was the moment when he realized that the hard thing in time gave perspective, and the hard thing became a recalibrating thing. It was kind of a wake-up call. In a strange way, the heart attack became a thing of mercy, sparing himself from a self-centered life, focused on the here and now, and the hard moment became a moment that gave him new eyes. I'm here to say that I don't know what you've been through, and I don't know what has taken you into dark places. I know the things that have taken me into dark places, but I'm here to say that God gave me a word for you, and the word came to me uh, yesterday on my run. I had a different word written down, but I feel like the Lord stopped me in the middle of my run, and I wrote down the word, redeem. Some of y'all have got memories you would rather forget and never to be brought up, but I'm here to say that God is going to do more than dredge some things up today. He wants to redeem your memory. So if you're a note taker, we're going to go through this really quick. Number one. How do we do this? How do we master our memory and get over uh, moments that are difficult? Write this down. Number one, get some props. I almost worked on get some stones, but that wasn't going to sound correctly. Get some props. Some of y'all get that later. Joshua chapter 4 verse 3. Command them, take 12 stones from here in the midst of the Jordan, the very place the, the priest's feet stood firmly, bring them over with you and lay them in the place where you will lodge tonight. In other words, get some prompts in your life, intentional prompts. Make a memorial. Make it impossible to forget where God has brought you to and what God has brought you through. Make a memorial. Put some prompts in your life. Journal it. Write it down. Buy a plant. Get something to memorialize. Buy a plant. Get something in your house, in your life, that you can look and be a reminder. And someone will look at that and say, where did you get that? I bought it here, but can I tell you the story of why that's here? Because it's reminding me of God's faithfulness. I've had pe people ask me at the climbing gym all the time, hey, what is this tattoo... Uh, what does this tattoo mean? Or what is, there's a scripture. This whole arm is about my story. And so this is what I've done with my arm. Pastor, does that mean I have to get a tattoo when I leave church? Yes, it does. I'm kidding. No, 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 no. <laughs> Pastor, God told me to get a tattoo, but you're 14. No, 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 no. But I do it because people ask me questions that I get to tell them my story. This is my story. This climbing one. This means that when my heart is overwhelmed, Psalm chapter 61, verse 2, when my heart is overwhelmed, I look to the rock that is higher than me. I lift up my eyes toward the hill, my, my hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. When you walk through the waters, I'll be with you. Why are you so down at the dumps of your soul? Fix your eyes on God, and soon I'll be praising again. He's the anchor of my soul. I, I write, I have reminders because there's a story for me to tell myself, but there's also a story that you need to tell others. You've got to be willing to go there. Listen, I remember hearing a fight between my uncle and my father. 
my uncle's three years older than me. He's like my brother. And my uncle got in trouble for, for, for getting into drugs. And my dad and him were going back and forth. And all of a sudden, my dad exploded and gave a side of his life that I've never known before as my dad began to give a background of his life in drugs. And I'm in shock. And afterwards, my dad was just broken. He's in tears. He's like, it's a story that I wish you would have never known about me. I'm like, Dad, but this is the stuff I need to know. Because, listen, I don't know how far God has brought you if I never know where God has brought you from. God has put stones in your life that we've got to build to not just say, man, here's where I was broken, but we've got other stones that we can stack on top. Here's where I was broken, but look where God has brought me. Look where God has saved me. Look where God has delivered me from. And sometimes you've got to get some prompts in your life to remember those days. Secondly, make a clean break. Make a clean break. Joshua 5.2. At the time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel. This is not a fun point to talk about. Before they move forward, this is not the word the men of the, of the children of Israel wanted to hear. If you don't know what circumcision is, Google it later. No, don't Google it. Never mind. Don't do that. But for years, there was a generation that wasn't circumcised. Why is that a big deal? If you're new to Christianity and new to the faith, that when Abraham was called by God and was the father of the nation of Israel, he gave him circumcision as a sign that says, this individual belongs to the Lord. In Romans, we get to the book of Romans, circumcision was, was more than just a physical ceremony. It was the idea that, God, I want my life to be dedicated to you. And so Paul says, it's not about circumcising the body. It's circumcising the heart. It's getting rid of anything that is taking you away from your walk with the Lord. Circumcision was simply saying, I am wholeheartedly 100% with you, God. And so that's what this moment was. Is God wanted them to say, I'm wholeheartedly with you. That's what it was all about. And that's what God is telling us today to do. That if you want healing in your memory, you've got to make a clean break from the things that are trying to pull you and distract you and to get you back to the trauma and the brokenness of your life. Let me give a word this morning for somebody today. God does not want a custody battle with you over your life. Well, God gets me on the weekends and then work gets me during the week. My wife gets me Monday through Friday. The girlfriend gets me on the weekend. We do that with God. Some of you are like, oh, we do that with God, don't we? We go into custody battles. You get me on these days at this time. God wants your whole heart. He doesn't want to just have you on the weekends. we got to make that clean break. And this was the children coming into the place that just simply said, we have decided to follow Yahweh, Jehovah God, and we need to ri rise up and have a people that will simply say, I've decided to follow Jesus. Number three, Joshua chapter five. When the circumcision of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Uh, right, number three is so important, prioritize healing. If you're dealing with memory issues, not that you're forgetting things, but there are things in your past that you need to get healed. I'm here to say that when you're going through the healing of process, that instead of moving forward into what's next, you have to take time to heal up. Listen, when they crossed the Jordan, the people of Jericho... I bet you we're watching. 
There are individuals that lived in the land that heard about it. Some people watched it, and they're like, there are two million people that literally crossed over through their God's power that are coming our way. This, this has got to be the best time to attack. Would you not want to attack a, a city that is shaking in their boots over what they've just saw? This is the best time. But I'm here to say this, that some of us will not be able to move forward until the things that God brings up are fully healed and properly healed. One quick prayer today at the end of the service is not going to do it. One visit to a counselor is not going to fix everything. Some of you have daily muscle memory that needs to be rewired. Some of you have daily temptations you have to renavigate in a new life. Some of you might need to walk with God a while before approaching things that He delivered you from. It might take some counseling. In fact, and the QR codes in the back of the seats, we, if you want to scan that, it's gonna, you've got a little, little link that will take you to my website, speakingfromtheshadows.com, and there is a list of local Christian counselors. If you need a counselor, we've got a list of them. We're actually adding on more and more in the next few days. So if you need a counselor, a good Christian counselor, click on that QR code, go there, and find yourself a place to get some healing. Some of you need to do some fasting. Some of you need to do some prayer. Some of you need to join a table and get community. Some of you need to join teams. But you need to prioritize recovery. You want me to give you a key to recovery? I'll show you. Watch this. This is so good. See, when you, when you, when you press the side buttons and you do this, it shuts your phone off. Some of you are never going to find healing because you're wrapped up in everybody else's life. It's time to reclaim our brains. Stop rushing yourself towards something if you haven't prioritized recovery. Number four, work hard. Olivia, I need some help shutting up here. If you can come to the piano. Work hard. Joshua 5.12. The manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land. They were no, there's no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan. What I love is as soon as they crossed, because the previous 40 years, God sent them food every single day called manna. And when they crossed the Jordan, and the second they ate the produce of the land, immediately they had to start cooking. 40 years of no meal planning. They didn't get over there and there's Hello Fresh waiting for them. They had to get, once they got there, they had to start working on their healing. And I think one of the greatest gifts that God could ever give us is actually taking something away from us that we depended upon because it's time to start working. They didn't cook for four years, didn't farm for 40, or 40 years, didn't attend to anything. They had to work. I love, I love Bishop T.D. Jakes. One time he said this. He says, God never made a chair, but he gave trees. There's so many of you, you're praying for a chair, and God gives you a tree. What am I going to do with this? Make the chair. Because God's not going to do for you what you can do for yourself. In other words, some of you are doing, you're trying to turn God, things over to God that God has already put in your hands to do. Pastor, would you, would you pray for my headaches? I'm like, you know what, I'll pray for your headaches, but maybe if you stop drinking nine Diet Cokes every single day, you might not have headaches. Pastor, would you pray for my marriage? My wife and I are so disconnected. I, I will, but bro, you, you haven't dated her in like two years. Take her out on a date. Talk to her, listen to her, romance her, and listen some more. 
Pastor, my kids, I pray over my parenting. I'll pray over your parenting, but shut your phone off and give your kids your undivided attention and play with your kids. You see, our prayer life will be transformed if we took care of what we know to take care of and we only went to God with only what God can take care of. Our prayer lives will be transformed if we just trusted in God with what He can do. Number five, celebrate. While the people were encamped at Gilgal, they kept Passover on the 14th day of the month. You know what they did for 40 years? They had not kept Passover. The last Passover was at Sinai. And so they took out their meals and they began to celebrate. One of the greatest things to do, the master your memory. How do you get healed up? Is you start celebrating what God has done. See, mastering your memory is more than dredging up what has happened. It's looking forward and celebrating the goodness of God. That's why it's important when you talk to your kids. Kids, here's where I failed. Here's where I almost quit. Here's where the dream almost died. But guess what? God started a new season. Psalm chapter 30. You've turned my mourning into dancing. You've loosened my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing of your praises and not be silent. I will give thanks to you forever. But Pastor, you don't know the memories. I don't know your memories. But I know the promise of Scripture is that if we will submit them to God, He can turn the moments of mourning into moments of dancing. Number six, overturn associations. What does that mean? You gotta go all the way back to the book of Numbers, chapter 14, to understand what I'm talking about. Because the last time stones came up in the story happened some years before, before they went wandering in the wilderness, because when the children of Israel sent spies into this land to see how good the land was, 10 spies came back and said, they're gonna annihilate us. They're too big for us. Two of them said, we can do this. Joshua and Caleb, we can do this. And immediately everybody picked up a stone and ordered to stone Joshua and Caleb. No, if, if, you, if they believe what you say, we're going to be annihilated. So they wanted to kill him. Literally wanted to kill him. So stones for Joshua and Caleb was like, that, that meant we're going to die. And, and God stayed the hand. And Joshua and Caleb ended up seeing the promised land. In fact, Joshua ended up leading the whole children of Israel. And so for them, stones was an association with what happened in their past. But now when God says grab some stones, they had to begin to associate it with something completely different. The stones were God saying, you're not going to remember where you were weak or where you had rough moments. You're going to remember where I am strong. Because where your memory used to take you to dark places, God can redeem into brand new chapters. See, sometimes God wants us to remember to build our faith. And there are sometimes like this morning, God wants us to remember to heal our hearts. He wants to redeem your memory. I was so blessed this morning. Because while the worship is going, y'all didn't hear his voice. And little Anders is sitting over here. Anders is three. And so Anders' father, Josh, is up here playing guitar, leading worship. And all I hear is, over the worship is, Daddy! Hi, Dad! Hi, Dad! Dad! I just wanted to say, Josh, look at your son. And so I grew up in church where somebody would have told them to shush. But what I was hoping is that the rest of us would begin to see that's the way God wants us to call out to Him. Dad! There's something in my past. Dad! I've wanted to take my life. Dad! The broken marriage. Dad! Look at me! 
And what I love about the Father is He doesn't turn His back to us. Jesus gave us this image of a prodigal going, wondering, will my dad take me? And the dad sees the prodigal and he runs. He runs to the prodigal and he embraces. And if you're here today and maybe you're dealing with some memory stuff, maybe there's some trauma that has happened in your past. There's trauma in my past. I don't have time to even share the story. If you're here this morning and you just, there's some memory things, some things that you wish you could forget, but maybe this morning God is bringing them to the surface because He wants to heal your life. He wants to begin a road of healing. If that's you this morning, right now, would you just stand up and come forward? I am the one you love. Could we just turn this into a furnace room of prayer for individuals? Some of you right now, you have, you have somebody the Holy Spirit has dropped on your heart. Individuals you know who have gone through some brokenness and some trauma. And let's be real, there's going to be some people that just have not come forward today just because of some fear, some brokenness, and some ache in their heart. And we're not going to condemn, we're going to speak over them in Jesus' name. Could you just join me in prayer? Could we just begin to pray out loud for the healing power of the Spirit of God in people's hearts? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just take the reins of lives and hearts today. Well, Lord, when we look at our lives, God, for some we see stones that represent good moments and wonderful moments, but at the same time there are some stones that are sitting there that completely bring us back to moments of loss and moments of brokenness, moments, God, of abuse and moments of hurt that have just never healed, but we've, we've tried to move past and we've tried to forget, we've tried to bury. But Lord Jesus, I believe that you're wanting to do more than just help us to just forget them. You want us to heal from those moments. And so this morning, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do what nobody else can do and give us the healing to the nth degree. That you would heal the, the fracture of the soul. The fracture of that, that deep part of us, God, that just it seems that nobody else can help but you. And Lord, I ask this, that you would begin to heal memories that you would do more than God help us to remember, Lord, but you would help us to get to the place where we can remember and not relive everything that we've gone to because of such healing that you've brought in our lives. Lord, I pray that individuals, Lord, would not feel shame. I pray individuals would not live in the guilt of what has been done to them, but God, that they would find themselves finding freedom, healing, and deliverance because of what you can do in their lives. Lord, and what I pray is I pray for, for God connections to the right counselors, the right individuals, Lord, to sit with, to, Lord, the right things to do to begin to practically get healthy in, our, in their lives, God, from, from finding the right friendships, God, to going into the proper scriptures, Lord, getting the right connections and community around them. Lord, I ask that we would be a community here at K-First that welcomes people with open arms, ready to be the listening ear voices of wisdom, God, hands to hold, arms to hug, God, that we would simply be a place where people cannot just show up hurt, but they can actually find a place of rest and to be healed in Jesus' name. And Lord, what I thank you is this, is you take us just as we are. And you bring us to a place of restoration, hope, and life. And so, Lord, my prayer is that, Lord, that their healing presence would continue to flood over our spirits, over our lives, that we would not just receive healing, but that we would be agents of healing to everywhere we go. 
Today, Lord, we set up some new stones. And we remember what you brought us to. And we are reminded that there is a promised land forward. We know we can't do it ourselves. We do it with your help. For the glory and for the honor of Jesus. We speak all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, can we give God a hand clap of praise in the house?